Welcome to episode 19 of the Life Coaching with Ryan podcast. Today, I continue my conversation with author Mary Shores, uh, talking about her book, Conscious Communications, and specifically how we build a new normal. Enjoy. And actually, I think that's a good transition point to talk about um, building the new normal. And specifically, you talk about these three prongs of change. Uh, and those were focus, belief, and chemistry. And I was hoping you could touch on that real quick. Yeah, I, I would love to. So focus, um, the three pillars for me, focus, I mean, we all know in, and we hear it all the time that what you focus on grows. So our focus is very, very powerful. And our focus is actually how we're doing our now creating. Because in every moment we have a choice. We can, we can go left or we can go right. And there's going to be an entire different set of circumstances on the other end of that decision. So we're creating we're creating our reality by what we're focused on in this now moment. And I actually think that there's a much deeper uh, teaching on this that has a lot to do with free will and what free will really was and, and what, what we were granted. This is how we were granted free will. You know, we have predetermined circumstances, but this is, this is the power of our free will. And it is everything that um, you may not, feel like you're choosing what you're focusing on and, and many times that I don't, but the way that I choose to focus on this issue or that issue, or do I come out swinging? You know, it's, it's just so very, very important. And what I want to say about focus, it's kind of like your thoughts. Like it can be difficult to uh, train your focus in the direction of what you want what you want and how you want it. So there's a couple of just like simple hacks that you can do. Uh, one is writing a list of everything in your life that is not going the way that you want it to go. So, yeah. you know, maybe keep, keep the list to like five or 10 things. And then on the other side of the paper, literally write what is the opposite of that. So if you are, um, if you are overwhelmed then the opposite of that would be you want peace and grace or something like that, you know? So it's, it's making that list and then saying, what is the opposite or what do I want instead? And then once you have that list of what you do want to focus on, understand that it's not just about the focus, but I, I read a meme. We just all love the wisdom of memes. That's <laughs> something like a goal Hmm. It said something like a goal coupled with action and having a plan becomes a success or something that, that means that. So, you know, the step one is really cultivating what you should be focused on. And then later on, and I teach you how to do this in the book, you want to write a blueprint of how you're going to get there, like the steps it's going to take. And once you've done that, your brain's already done the hard work. Now it's just following up on the synchronicities that begin to show up in your life. And believe me, they happen every single day. They're happening. It's just whether or not we're wearing the pair of glasses that allows us to see them. Like when you saw your new friends who are getting you or whether we're wearing the the blackout lenses that don't allow us to see any of that right yeah, so because essentially it's a self-fulfilling prophecy yes you know, because, people talk about self-fulfilling prophecy i don't think they they understand that some of that is simply that our perception and our thoughts drive each other and so that even if you're getting all the love and support in the world if you can't see it then you're going to keep telling yourself oh i'm not loved 
Right. And that's that. So it's, it's definitely that, that feedback loop, because this, where is this coming from? It's coming from the way that we believe, you know, what are those barrier beliefs? And we're in this, you know, I guess I was lucky in a way because having this child who's on the spectrum has really served me in a way that it's shaken off all of my beliefs because I'm raising a child that there is no rule book in every way, in every way, shape or form that I expected him to be based on my own childhood. Cause what else am I going to base that on? Right. Yeah. Um, you either want to recreate a better childhood than what you had, um, for, for your children, or you want to be just like your parents cause you had the perfect mother in the world. Well, that's got a lot of holes in it. Right. <laughs> or in my case, you want to be the exact opposite of what, your parent was because you saw the difficulties that your parent caused in your life and you stretched to be the opposite end of that spectrum. These are all beliefs. And so having this child really helped me to shake off kind of violently, actually, all the belief systems that I had and left me this like brand new clean slate of a person who's building, I'm building my beliefs by choice. Yeah, that was pretty much what my depression did to me. It was so acute and so disruptive mentally. I, I really, I've described it multiple times as to the point where you could pinch me and I still wouldn't believe I was real. Mm. I, it, it just was so altered my sense of reality. Again, to the point where I thought nothing was, nothing was real. So coming back from that, was, oh, <laughs> all of these building blocks of what I thought were reality are all blown apart and strewn everywhere. And so now I get, uh, not that I was completely removed. There's still the core of who I am and who I was and et cetera that perhaps never went away. But kind of how I interacted with the world and my beliefs about the world, I reassembled a piece at a time from my pre-existing beliefs and developing new ones. So I absolutely hear what you're saying about I wouldn't, I would hardly ever suggest that depression is freeing, but the nature of my experience with my depression in the act of destroying so much of my sense of reality did give me the opportunity to build a new sense of reality. Because Ryan, because you made that choice. Yeah. So it's such a great, um, similar parallel to like what I was going through after my daughter's death right? I could have gone down, you could have easily gone down a different road, yeah. right? But for yeah. whatever reason, you brick by brick created a new reality for yourself. But brick by brick, you could have turned to heroin, you could have turned to sex addiction, or you know, you could have turned to many, many different things. You know what, you could have said, chuck it all and like gone back to corporate. You know what I mean? Not right. exactly, like education. You could have- right. There's so many infinite number of choices that you could have made and all of them would be okay. And you're going to learn your lessons through, through all of those, but yeah. like the recognition that this is a belief system. So one of the stories that I tell in the book is talking about how, whenever I would go through a breakup, I would feel this like impending sense of doom, like I was going to die. And what I realized was, and I was actually, it's so funny too, because when you're writing a book, all the life situations that you're talking about in the book show up for you. So yeah. it's like the synchronicity, but I'm writing the book. I'm in the chapter that's actually going right into this, uh, 
last part, chemistry, because this is, this is the important component that I find people don't talk about much, is the way that our bodies produce chemicals, because every emotion we have is associated with a chemical that is being created in our body. So whether you call that a hormone, a whatever, we have transmitters that allow us to process these emotions that are neurochemicals. So it could be dopamine, it could be oxytocin, vasopressin, testosterone, ester, I mean, the whole, yeah. there's a lot of them. There's right. so many of them. You really need to be a chemist. <laughs> but let's just say there are chemicals that make you feel good and there are chemicals that make you feel crappy. All right. And when you go through a situation, all right, our bodies are like libraries and they store everything that has ever happened to us. So when you go through a situation, so for me, it was when I was abandoned by my mother at the age of three. I was sent off to live with relatives who I did not know. I did not have a relationship. I was safe. I was well-fed. I actually was living with people who were at that time considered to be quite wealthy. But the three-year-old, see, you remove a three-year-old from its parent and that's death. This right. is their survival thing, okay? Right. So I was removed from my mother who was my source of survival. And even though I was completely safe, I on the inside was very terrified. So now what happened is every time a relationship ended, my brain immediately goes back to that three-year-old who was abandoned and recreates the exact same chemical recipe in my body that I experienced when I was three years old. So the, the impending result of this is that every time I was going through a breakup, I felt like I was going to die not because I was actually dying, but because three-year-old Mary who was abandoned Every time a relationship ended, and by the way, the story I'm telling in the book, I'm the one who ended the relationship. Ah, I, well, I didn't catch that. I ended the relationship, but I would go through this death um, every single time. So I remember I was researching this chapter, chapter three, I think it's called Your Nervous System, Friend or Frenemy. Yeah. And I sat up in bed and I said, you know what? I am not dying. What is happening to me right now is that my body is recreating all of the stress chemicals from when I was three years old, and I am reliving that in this moment. So mm -hmm. this is why in chapter two, we talk about the importance of reframing your story, because every time you tell that story of tragedy, you're recreating those neurochemicals in your body that created the tragedy in the first place. Right. Well, how do we break that cycle? We need to change the outcome. We need to tell our triumphant stories more than we tell our tragic stories. Stories. I'm not saying to ignore your tragedies. I'm not pretending that they didn't happen. Um, there's one woman, I will not say her name, but her work drives me insane because I swear she is trying to brainwash people that their problems in life did not happen. Yes. You will never hear me say that because you know what? Your problems are real. And if anything, in this time period, we need to learn the importance of processing the bad shit that happens to us Thank and you. stop pretending like happiness is the cure to everything because it's yep. not. No, happiness is in itself a shitty goal because happiness <laughs> is transient. So if your goal is to be happy, be prepared to suffer a lot and be like, no, really, I'm happy while you're in denial because that's just not, that's it's, just not how it works. We, if we were meant to be happy all the time, we would not have all these stress chemicals that made us feel like crap all the time. All right. But we need to be able to process our emotions. And so instead of, so in this one moment, because now I've taught myself what, what is actually happening, right? Without this knowledge, I could never acknowledge that actually, Mary, this is not you having this reaction. It's three-year-old Mary, because you know what? That was too crazy sounding for me. 
I was never into the inner child stuff. It's still difficult for me because I am so adult. Like I've been an adult <laughs> since I was five. Right. Because you had to be. Because I had to be. Because yep. I had to be, right? So inner child's like, whatever. You better have a really strong hypnosis if you want that to work on me. But here's the thing. I can rationalize it and say, I know my body is creating the exact same chemical recipe because it has memorized it. Okay. So that's why you get in a car accident and then you're afraid to drive or right. you get bit by the dog. Every time a dog walks by your body goes, does whatever it does is because it's creating those same neurochemicals. And so then you every, have the meta loop saying, Mary, why haven't you learned your lesson? Mary, why haven't you learned your lesson on top of all that too? Crazy making. So what I want you to do or what I want you to take away from this is to understand to develop behaviors that are going to support a well-meaning neurochemical. Um, I don't want to say biodome because that's more about like bacteria and stuff, but you know what I mean? Like Biome. you want healthy brain chemicals. You want a healthy set of what is going to keep you going. What are, what are the chemicals that create motivation? What are the chemicals that keep you moving forward? And then, you know, one of the things that we implemented here at my business about a year ago was what if we did for a year, we make decisions on how much stress it's either going to cause or eliminate. And even just doing something as simple as that is going to lower the instances of stress chemicals that are created in the body. But the, the real truth is next time you're at that cocktail party, you're meeting that person for the first time, tell a story of one of your wins, even if it's a small win, because the same is true. When you, I, I like to tell it like this, and um, it's a little sexual stereotype, it's typical, but I okay. think you'll follow the reference is like, you know, the guy and, you know, for me, it was my grandpa um, that talks about going fishing and they catch the big fish mm. and then, or they, or, or maybe it's baseball and they hit the home run. Right. But every time they tell the story, it gets a bit more bigger. <laughs> the fish that was like five pounds is now 30 pounds. I don't know. Right. right. The, the fish was this big. Well, that's because every time they're telling that story of that big win, they're recreating the, the neurochemicals that happened at the moment that they caught the fish. So what was that? That was a huge adrenaline rush, which mm -hmm. is also why when they're telling these stories, they get so animated and, and, you know, they get, it's like they're waking up. They're just becoming so alive because they are recreating that, that, that uh, chemicals in their brain. And the other thing is they're also strengthening the neural network. They're strengthening the belief system that supported them in being able to accomplish that in the first place. Now, why is this important for you? Because you want to strengthen that neural pathway so that you can continue to have big wins, small wins, medium wins all throughout your life. When people look at someone like me and say, you know, how did you do that? How did you start this business? How did you become a public speaker? How did you um, write this book? How did you, you know, overcome so many devastating things in your life? And that's the reason because I knew to always celebrate the wins. Talk about those stories more than I talk about the tragic stories. Tragic stories I still need to process, but they don't need to be the first conversation piece when I meet my new bestie or my circle of 10 people right, at the right. event. Yeah. Because that does not serve me.
Yeah. And, and it's interesting because again, this is, this isn't about denying your tragedy. It's about not being defined by your tragedy. And there is a great passage, uh, where you say something about, yeah, it's great if you could choose to be happy, but the person who can choose to be happy is someone who has a baseline of happy. You have to work mm -hmm. to get to the point where you have a baseline of happy. So this, is, this again goes back to building the new normal. You know, this, this isn't like, and today, I've, after I've written my 100 things I love about me list, now suddenly everything is peachy. Like, no, that's, <laughs> not, that's not how this goes. This is, this is this, we're, instead of building bricks to make a wall, we're, let's extend the metaphor and say we're laying out bricks and making a path, right? So we're, we're, we're moving in a new direction. We're, we're putting ourselves, we're setting ourselves up for something new. And then we have to make these decisions. And and it's, I, I love that you were talking about big D decisions because it works so well with what I was reading in Kelly McGonigal's uh, The Willpower Instinct is understanding that there's cool or cold self-control and there's hot self-control. And when we're able to harness our emotion, when we're able to put emotion behind a decision that we make, you said it becomes a big D decision. It's essentially hot self-control. I am motivated, ultra motivated by the emotion that I'm tying to this to keep propelling me forward. It's, it's so true. And I, there's so many directions we could go with that. I mean, I know at one point it's like you're trying to make decisions that with the longer term goal in mind versus making decisions that are going to make you happy right in this now moment. So you have to get over that short-term squirm to make the, the bigger decisions. And I'm, when we talk about, so just for those of you who don't know, making a big D decision versus a small D decision. So it's like decision with a capital D versus decision with a little D. So the B, the big D decision is going to have a lot of that emotional, um, strong willpower behind it. Whereas a small D decision is more passive. Okay. And they're, and they're both okay because there's going to be, sometimes you make a small D decision and it's going to be the thing that changes your life. But when you make a decision with intensity, I will stop smoking right now. I will never put another cigarette in my mouth ever. I'll never forget the first time I ever went to uh, Tony Robbins, Unleash the Power Within. And I am choosing to tell the story of smoking because I used to smoke. So, and I really wanted to quit smoking, right? And mm -hmm. I had quit smoking like years before this, but I would go back to it for whatever reason. Um, so it was kind of like that willpower thing or maybe I hadn't put enough emphasis behind my decision. So Tony Robbins goes through that whole story about where he's coaching that guy and he hasn't put like smoke a hundred cigarettes or whatever. And he's like forcing the guy to smoke. And the guy's like, you can't ever make me smoke again. And the guy's like crying and tears coming down his face. And, and you know, Tony Robbins and him are going back through this thing and this, and this thing. And right after that segment, there was a little break. Right? right? Where do you think all the people went on the break? To go smoke. <laughs> and I'm literally, I'll never forget it because everyone, you know, rushed to the elevator, get outside to where you can smoke. And I'm literally thinking to myself, I can't believe that all of these people just watched and listened to the same segment I did. And the only thing they can think of is let me go outside and smoke. Mm -hmm. And what did I do? Smoked. I went outside and smoked. Yep. Yeah. I mean, thank goodness 
I eventually did quit smoking, but that was a really big moment for me because see, the, the story wasn't enough to make the decision sticky. You right, know, right. I really had to get to it myself. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's interesting because I, again, I wish I wrote down what page in my notes here, but you said the choices that present, present themselves to you are created by your thoughts. And my mm -hmm. brain just about started leaking out of my ears and I had to reread it three times and then write it in my handwritten notes. And then I also typed it into my notes to talk with you about today because even though you heard this story and part of your brain is like, I should quit smoking, you are still in this loop, mm -hmm. right? You're still not making a conscious decision. So the choice isn't presenting itself to you in a way where you're creating new thoughts or, Listen, you know. I had a choice to get on the elevator. I had a choice to follow my ex-husband because I knew that he was going outside to smoke. You know, I had, I had choices like those little micro choices all along that journey between leaving that arena and going outside to smoke, right? So I was making all these choices that were going to present me with the outcome of, oh, I'm going to smoke a cigarette. But I want to go back because I really would love to hear more about why that, that blew your mind so much. Sure. Yeah. Um, this, this goes back to the idea of having a lens, having a frame, however you want to put it that just like the idea that I, I am unloved and unsupported and thinking that means that you can't see all the love and support around you. The mm -hmm. same is true. Like the number of times when someone says, oh, I can't do X because of Y. And, and it, there's this, again, this is the barrier belief this is the self-limiting. It doesn't even look like there's a choice. Mm-hmm. I can't choose anything different because these are my circumstances. So there may be 30,000 choices. There may be an infinite number of choices. There may be three really excellent choices and three really crappy choices. And you can only see like one good choice and two crappy choices. And you have too many other beliefs about the good choice to be able to, to choose it. You, you put additional weight on it that makes it untenable, impossible, whatever. So I, as we like start to break this stuff down and we start making conscious choices, I feel like we clear some of that clutter and new options become available to us. It's, it's very true. Like, um, so it's so simple to say the choices that present themselves are created by our thoughts. So we're having, we're having thoughts, you know, we're having like, we're having the, the terrible, like you wouldn't even want to reveal these thoughts to anybody. And we're all doing it, every single one of us, you know, and, and some of that's not even our own creation because like, oh my gosh, I just watched that series on Netflix, The Haunting of Hill House. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, I got to stop watching this. <laughs> this, is, this is planting too much weird stuff in my mind, especially when you're on a spiritual path because you're already open to, you know, concepts of energy. And, you know, anyway, I'm just saying it was a terrible decision to watch that show on <laughs> my part. Didn't work well, out. I mean, it when I can just watch it, but like I was watching it like nine o'clock at night, like so dumb. I have to stop doing that. Watch it in the morning anyway, where I'm not going to like go to sleep and think about it. But like the choices that present themselves to you are created by your own thoughts. Okay. So a couple of years ago, my friend was really going through this dilemma with her aging parent. And the choice was you were either, you know, we're going to let this person go or we're going to continue to have them on life support. Now, how can you ever 
reframe this to choices, you know, that are going to support you because it feels like whichever way you choose is going to be bad or is not going to have a good outcome. It's like, how do you choose when all of the choices just seem so fundamentally wrong? And I think it's Deepak Chopra that says there's always one choice that is just slightly, slightly better than another choice. And sometimes that choice might be in reading a book about it or, or going to a counselor that's going to help you, give you the questions that you need to be able to answer in order to come up with that decision. So at the end of the day, you can at least feel confident that you made the choice that's in alignment with that person's needs. You know, not every choice is that extreme, but I had a lot of choices between leaving that arena and, and putting that cigarette in my mouth. I could have just chose not to put the cigarette in my mouth. Right. Right. But well, isn't it interesting that the universe gave me the opportunity for that choice immediately <laughs> by having a break is, right afterwards? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because this ties in for me uh, into making more conscious decisions. And I've said an untold number of times, we don't ask ourselves enough questions. And that if we asked ourselves more questions, we would, re we would start to discover that there are more choices, there are more options. And, mm -hmm. and so one thing is that sometimes the decision doesn't matter. How you feel about the decision does matter. I.e., you, you have to like your reason. And, and, and this works for things that happened in the past too. I was talking to Preeti about this recently. It's, it's something I haven't released yet. But we, I was saying that you can rewrite your beliefs about a choice you made in the past and suddenly it frees you up to make better decisions in the future because you're like, oh no, that was the best decision. I've been feeling crappy about this decision, but it was the best way to go. And, and the reason you know that is because you asked questions about it. You asked yourself the truth of the situation and now suddenly you feel more empowered and you're able to see more choices and take more opportunities. Well, and I think it's also important to note that um, there's an element of judgment that is part of the alignment piece. And when we go back and we're judging choices that we made in the past, we're, we're really never going to be in alignment. I think the, the healthier thing to do is to know that you made the best choice that you had with the, with the, the skills, the tools, the information you had in that moment. So like going back, okay, I look at this decision to smoke. I mean, it's a dumb thing. It's just one cigarette. What difference does it make? But I was making a choice of like, I wanted to be with my ex-husband. He was my husband at the time. I was wanting, I was choosing to have a connected moment with him because I wanted to talk about the content. So if we look at, you know, like you look at the things it's like, oh, wow, she should have had more willpower. But what was higher priority to me at that, in that moment was connecting with my husband. Right. And in order to do that, I needed to go along with him to smoke. And somehow on a micro level, I knew that. So when we look at our past choices, we need to understand I made the best choice that I could at the time right. in those circumstances. And it's important to acknowledge that sometimes there's a value conflict, that you have a value of being with your husband and you have a value of improving your health. And that in that moment, those two values were in conflict. And, yeah. and you did not see an opportunity to say, go out and hang out with your husband and not smoke. That, that opportunity had not presented itself to you. Um, so those two things were inextricably linked. He's going to go smoke, so I'm going to go smoke with him. So they're connected. And then again, this is how we talk about making conscious choices. I, I'd like to kind of paraphrase the three questions that you wrote 
um, and I can't remember what chapter it is right now, but you essentially said, does this choice connect me or disconnect me from my wants, goals, and values? Uh, on a scale of one to 10, how important is it for me to take this action, to have this thought, um, to feel this feeling? And, and I put that as what need is being expressed by my choice? Because a need is always being expressed. Your need was to connect in that example, right? So how important is it to connect in that way then becomes a valuable question. And then another valuable question is, how true is it that this is the best way to get what I need? Which I think you phrased as, is it really what I need? You know, like how is this, what, what, if we understand the need that's being expressed, then we can meet the need. Again, it goes back to the unconditional love and everything else. When we ask ourselves these questions, now we can make more conscious decisions. Very good. Say. You did an excellent job paraphrasing those questions. Well, thank you very much. You're so welcome to, very much. <laughs> so to kind of close this, I wanted to talk about another journal exercise that you, um, that you discussed, which I kind of lovingly called the positivity ratio. You were talking about the 80-20 rule mm -hmm. um, and that you could look at any category of your life and you broke it down into six or seven categories, I believe, um, which I could flip through and find real quick if I needed to. Um, but essentially, you need to make a list of 10. And then if at least eight don't serve you, then something to reevaluate. I'm like, how am I capturing that? How well am I capturing that? You're doing, you're doing well. So what I, I just want to, because I've got the book right here. Um, the book has a coaching, <laughs> the book has a coaching exercise at the end of every chapter. And so the things you're talking about, um, really, it's understanding first that perfection is not the goal. So I have a concept about cleanser clog, which is basically, you know, you use those questions to figure out, is it a cleanse or a clog? Meaning that every choice you make is either cleansing you or creating a deeper connection to what you want, or it's clogging you by creating a disconnection from what you want. And so your behaviors can either go in the cleanse column or in the in the clog column. But the idea is not to get 100% of your choices in that cleanse column. As a matter of fact, I talk about the 80-20 rule. So what you wanna do is you want to look at your behaviors, your habits, your choices, in, in the five or six, it's, it's like the basic areas everyone talks about, like health, health, wealth, fine, you know, career, spiritual growth, all those good things, relationships. Page and 125. You, I just found it in my notes. Oh, I, yeah, I already have it open right to that. Oh, page. boom. Nailed it. Boom. Synchronicity. So yeah. what you do is as you're looking at, and the, the chapter helps you create your table for doing this. And also I do have a free download where you can download the journal for the book and it's already got it charted for you. But what you want to do is you want to look at your habits and your behaviors and you want to see how many of them are connecting you to your, what you want and how many of them are not. So if we go back to what I said earlier about, um, like maybe I wanna lose 20 pounds, okay? So that choice of eating that Kit Kat, Kit Kat bar is a clog, okay? So candy goes in the clog column, all right? Now, apples and salad and exercise and all those kind of good things go in the cleanse column, right? So all I wanna do is I wanna look at this and I wanna say, what is my ratio? If 20% of my choices are eating Kit Kat bars, but the rest of the time I'm working out and I'm eating salad, I'm gonna be okay. One Kit Kat bar is not going to make or break me, right? right. But if the, think about it like this. What if 
for 45 days, 80% of the time you were making cleansing connected choices. And after 45 days, how much would your life change? Just by knowing that one thing. Potentially massively, especially if you're shifting your ratio from having more than 20% of your choices not being in alignment to less than 20%. I mean, I just imagine you'd feel completely different about your life as well. And you feel more in control. And I have uh, a lot of people who are reading the book and that is, they, they've, I've had a woman actually write to me and say, cleanser clog is her new Bible. Like she literally just takes a two second check in with all of her choices. Does this cleanser clog? And then she decides whether she's going to move forward. Now, sometimes you're going to know something's a clog because like you're at a restaurant, you've just had an amazing meal and the dessert cart comes around and there's your favorite piece of chocolate lava cake that's going to go perfectly with your Pinot Noir and you are not passing that up. And yeah, sure, maybe calorie wise, it goes in the clog column. But again, as long as you're not even eating chocolate cake and red wine every single night, you're probably okay. Well, and I think to your point also, if you are celebrating, right? I think you, you, you put it in the book as well, and this goes back to liking your reason that I mentioned a moment ago. Sometimes something that would otherwise be a clog if it was a habit could be a cleanse in the form of celebrating a win. Like it's, it's, it would be different if you, were, if you were eating chocolate cake all the time and then you just ate that chocolate cake again in that circumstance. That's different from going, you know what? No, today this is something I want and I feel good about it and so I'm going to do it. And so I, I suppose you might say it's neither a cleanse nor a clog, but you, you're kind of, it's kind of operating as both in a, in a sense that you get to, yeah, okay, it may not be the healthiest choice in the world, but it's also a very positive choice to be engaged in this moment with these people celebrating this thing, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's why everyone's chart is very personal to them. I know in the finance column, you know, there's an aspect or maybe an example about buying an outfit. Um, but like some, one person might look at this outfit and say, I can't afford this outfit. Therefore, you know, that's a clog. I cannot buy the outfit. And then another person might be having like a very important meeting coming up. And by buying the outfit, it's going to create all those confidence neurochemicals in their body. That's going to make them feel motivated, confident, and show up better at the meeting. And in that case, it's a total cleanse. Yeah. Now, does this mean you go out and buy a new outfit every single day? No. Absolutely, absolutely not. But if, if buying that outfit gets you one inch closer to that mountain of your goal, then buy the outfit. Yep. And this, again, this is about conscious decision-making. I am consciously making a decision to do this. It is in alignment. It helps me versus I am just automatically buying nice things because it feels good to buy nice things. And watch the synchronicity that when you when you went out on a limb, you bought the outfit, watch how quickly some other like refund or something comes in that replaces that money that you weren't even expecting. And here's a little preview of what's coming up next week. Um, so I'd love to kind of bring it home talking about now that we've addressed some of our barrier beliefs and we're moving ourselves to a new normal, how do we how do we push ourselves to that next level? How do we move ourselves forward? And it's funny because you bring up fried green tomatoes and the main character having this alter ego Tawanda. And uh, 
I just wanted to know, do you, what, what did you call your, like, did you create a character avatar for yourself? Did you create a name for yourself to help you kind of break through? Like the show? Consider subscribing through my Patreon at patreon.com slash lifecoachingwithryan. You'll get early access to shows and potentially a host of other rewards. Want more? You can also find me streaming on Twitch at twitch.tv slash lifecoachingwithryan, where I play some games and I continue the conversation. I'm pretty active on Instagram. You can find me at instagram.com slash educate for the number four underscore life. That's where I do my book club. I record the book club episodes live on Mondays, and then I post them to IGTV. Later, I post them on YouTube. See you next time.